listening to the Up and Under podcast, starting in 3, 2, 1. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome into the Up and Under podcast. I'm your host, Hani. Joining me, as always, is Zeeshan. Yo. All right, man. So, uh, as promised, now that the offseason has kind of died down a little bit, uh, it's time for us to kind of break down some of the biggest signings and really kind of look at what were some of the best moves that happened in the free, during free agency and what were some of the worst moves that happened in free agency. And honestly, in terms of, you know, the signings that we did get, you know, besides the major, major headlines, there wasn't a ton of blockbuster signings. You know, a lot of it was trades or players re-signing with their, their current teams. But again, like we mentioned in last week's episode, and if you haven't already done so, check that out. We basically broke down the entire Kevin Durant situation and potential trade partners that could potentially make an offer for Kevin Durant. But essentially, the long story is that Kevin Durant is the biggest domino to fall in the offseason. If he gets moved, that's going to dictate, you know, a lot of what's going to happen, you know, in the future, you know, heading into next season. But we felt like there were some moves that happened, at least now that we're about, what, almost like three weeks past free agency, to really talk about some of these signings and the impacts that they could make. So, yeah, basically we're going to be breaking down the four best and the four worst moves. Um, and before we even get started, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on all the various platforms. You can find us on YouTube, of course, but Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, basically wherever you can find a podcast, you can find us with the Up and Under Podcast. But starting us off with some of the best moves that happened uh, during this free agency period, and I think it's fair to start off with probably the biggest, one of the biggest monetary value ones of the ones we're going to talk about, and it's James Harden. Now heading into the into free agency, people were looking at James Harden's situation and thinking it as if it's going to be one of the worst, you know, among what's available, you know, mainly because he had a $47 million player option that we all expected him to opt into. And he had a pretty down year, you know, in terms of his production, his um, health, um, his situation with Brooklyn, where he ended up asking out. But most importantly, he kind of underperformed in the playoffs again with the Sixers, which doesn't bode well for James Harden in terms of his, I guess, his you know his reputation i mean the main thing about james harden is that not just that he underperformed this year but it looks like he's finally on that back end of his career he's he doesn't look like the same james harden that was constantly in mvp conversations every single year in houston um and you know whatever you want to blame that on age the hamstring injury whatever it is we can all see that james harden at least over the past two years, has shown that he's not the James Harden he once was. So that's that was, I think, the main concern with James Harden going into this offseason, especially as you mentioned with this $47 million option. Yeah, but ultimately, James Harden ended up opting out of his $47 million option, and he honestly did something that I didn't really see coming. He re- renegotiated his deal with the Sixers, uh, and he ended up signing a two-year, $68 million extension with the Philadelphia 76ers, which means he took about a $15 million pay cut. And that enabled the Sixers to make other moves to bolster their roster. Now, again, depth was a big concern, especially after trading away Ben Simmons uh, for James Harden. 
And I guess James Harden wanted to repay Daryl Morey in the organization by saying, hey, I'll give you back some money to recoup the depth that you lost in terms of trading for me. And I think this is a pretty good move for James Harden. You know, he's still going to be paid $36 million. Um, it's a short-term deal, so it's great for the Sixers because it's not locking them up long-term with an aging and probably a declining James Harden. But more importantly, you can make other areas of the roster better. And we'll talk about some of the moves that they made, but, you know, they went out and they were able to get guys like P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, and sign some other key depth guys as well to really bolster their roster. So, I mean, overall, man, I didn't expect James Harden to take a pay cut, but this was probably best-case scenario for the Now, there is all the... um other stuff about this deal, the uh, more um, investigative aspects of this deal. But on the surface level, you know, like credit to James Harden. He clearly wants to win. Um, and, you know, even though you're still on the books for quite a bit of money for James Harden, at the very least, it shows his commitment to win. And as Hani mentioned, you know, he freed up around $15 million of cap space in order to get guys like P.J. Tucker, Daniel House who, you know, could immediately help in your championship quest. And if there's any time uh, to go for that championship, I think it has to be right now if you're the Philadelphia 76ers. Well, now this basically gives them a two-year window to compete. So we'll see what happens. But this was a great W for not only James Harden, but the Philadelphia 76ers as well. Another good move, I think, um, during this offseason, especially for the parties involved, was the Malcolm Brogdon deal. Now, Malcolm, uh, the Indiana Pacers traded Malcolm Brogdon to the Boston Celtics in order to get Aaron Neesmith, Malik Fitz, Daniel Tice, Juwan Morgan, Nick Stauskas, and some picks. Basically picks. It was basically picks and to get rid of, you know, a little bit of cap space um, or a little bit of salary and, you know, get rid of a guy that doesn't really fit your timeline anymore. Mm-hmm. And for the Boston Celtics, this is the main aspect of the trade. Um which is why it worked out so well for the Boston Celtics. Now, there is the injury concerns for Malcolm Brogdon, of course. I don't think you're going to be able to dispel that completely. But when you have Malcolm Brogdon on the court, and especially the fact that, you know, as a championship contender, you know Malcolm Brogdon will be more committed to actually trying to stay on the court and, you know, probably play through a little bit more of the injuries that he, that Indiana just shut him down for. Um, but... This literally gives Boston exactly what they've needed. We've said for a long time, basically since, you know, Kyrie, that they've needed a point guard. They tried addressing that with Kemba Walker. Unfortunately, Kemba's injuries just basically derailed his career. Um, And they've been running Marcus Smart at the point, who, to his credit, has gotten a lot better at his position. Um, He took some huge strides the second half of the season. Uh, But you clearly still need a better Pure point guard, right? Like Marcus Smart's not a starting point guard, and I think that or he's he's more of a combo guard yeah, than a point guard. In what he's a need. combo guard, but he's not the type of floor general that you want. And I think that's what Malcolm Brogdon brings. Like, not only is he just a plug and play perfect fit for the Celtics, he's exactly like you said. He's exactly what they needed. You know, a guy who can just get Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown the ball. And really just get the offense organized, which is exactly what, you know, Golden State took advantage of in the NBA Finals, which is the fact that the Celtics really just had to do iso ball, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and they had to really set themselves up versus now they have a guy who can set up their key guys. which And is, mainly control the pace, exactly. right? control the flow of the game. Um, and not to mention the fact that he can score, he can play some defense. 
So overall, if you're the Boston Celtics and if you're a Boston Celtics fan, you have to feel really happy about this trade. And he's locked up too. I think he has what another four years left on his deal. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, you literally got exactly what you've needed. And now moving forward, now you don't really have a weak point in your starting lineup or your starting six, seven, whatever it is. Well, as long as like guys like you know Time Lord and stuff t- stay healthy, you know they have a pretty solid starting five. And I think again. I, I got to give some credit to Brad Stevens. He's doing a pretty pretty darn good job at another front office exec, you know, in terms of getting some key guys to really bolster the Celtics lineup. Uh, but yeah, definitely Malcolm Brogdon, pretty good pretty good pickup for the for the for the Boston Celtics. Bringing us into the third move that we felt was probably one of the best of the offseason. And this was one that happened pretty pretty early on, actually. I think before the draft, actually. Yeah. Uh, it was the Jeremy Grant trade to the Portland Trailblazers. So obviously the Portland Trailblazers uh, acquired Jeremy Grant in exchange for I think I believe the rights to one of the players of of the twenty twenty two draft. I believe that was a first round pick, and then I think it was a couple of seconds as well. But it was essentially just draft picks that go to the Detroit Pistons. Now Pistons fans. Honestly, I feel for you because uh, you basically gave up Jeremy Grant for nothing. But I guess you kind of made up for it with the Jaden Ivey picks and, you know, some of the other moves that the Pistons made. But in tr- I mean, at least they were able to get something for Jeremy Grant at this point. Like, it yeah. just, you know. Yeah, and they, I mean, and again, it freed up a ton of salary for them too. But I think more importantly, I think this was a great move for the Portland Trailblazers just from the standpoint that, you know, he's a player that fits very well next to Damian Lillard. Um, he can defend, he can score, um, and, you know, he's a type of win-now player that will help keep Damian Lillard happy, which is exactly what the Trailblazers wanted to do. And, you know, now that you got, you know, obviously you got Nurkic back, you know, the, the Trailblazers are going to be a lot more competitive now. And I think, you know, it's not the same redundancy that you were doing with CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. Now you have a certain different guy, a wing player who can stop opposing guys, so I kind of I like the move from Portland standpoint, and I think it does make them better. Well, here's the thing too. Right now they have Anthony Simons, yeah. So who's, you know, as long as he contri- continues on his trajectory, then you're talking about a legitimate partner alongside Damian Lillard. Plus now you have Jeremy Grant to add on to that. The biggest thing for the Portland tra- Trailblazers over this past five, six, seven year stretch has obviously been you know the defense. That's always been the issue with the tra- Trailblazers. Um, and for them to get a lockdown perimeter defender uh, like Jeremy Grant, who, you know, when you were able to see him really focus on the defensive end for uh, for a team like, for example, the Denver Nuggets when he was there, you can really see his value and what he can provide to this Portland Trailblazers team, not to mention the extra, you know, 16, 17 points that he's going to be able to add on. So I think this move mainly for the Portland Trailblazers Again, it doesn't make them championship contenders, but clearly we know what the Blazers are at this point. They they're going to they're going to they're fine with staying middle of the pack. I mean, they gave up nothing to get Jeremy Grant. Like you got it, you got a guy, you gave up nothing to get him. It's it's a pretty big W. And I think I believe the the Blazers have a, have some cap space still. If I'm not mistaken, the Blazers might have some cap space, but again, Damian Lillard's contract is also huge it's now. Massive. Uh but, you know, We'll see what happens with the Blazers, but this is definitely a step in the right direction for Portland. Yeah, and then moving on to our final, um, you know, quote-unquote best move of this offseason, we're going to talk about the John Wall signing. So John Wall was 
released by the Houston Rockets, and he subsequently signed a two-year $13 million deal with the LA Clippers. Now, I think this bodes well for both parties in terms of John Wall and the Clippers. The Clippers need a point guard, um, and, you know, to get a guy like John Wall, who in his prime was an all-star player, um, probably the best point guard in the Eastern Conference at one point. Um, and, again, he he's not the same player that he once was, but he's shown in flashes in Houston that he can still be a very productive player. And if you're able to limit what John Wall doesn't do great and focus on what John Wall does, you know, his strengths instead, um, I think he can be a really positive contributor for this Clippers team. And about John Wall, like, again, John Wall needed this situation, right? He's been on um, a bad team in Houston. He's He hasn't really played at all in the last how many years or so. And for him, I think this is just a big boost in terms of just finding himself in the NBA once again, you know, being able to play for something, um, especially when you consider the fact that in his last couple of years in Washington, they weren't really playing for much at that point anymore either. So for him to be able to play for something, to, you know, find some sort of competitiveness um, on a game-to-game basis for a championship contender like the LA Clippers, I think it's a great move for his career as well. I like it. I like it for both the Clippers and for John Wall. I think for the Clippers, like you said, like you're getting another ball handler, another guy who uh, who can literally attack the defense, and then who you who you can kick out to now. Now you can kick out to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Like that's a perfect scenario for John Wall because now you're covering up what he doesn't do well, which is shoot the ball, and but also play towards his strengths, which is attack the basket. And then you factor in on the defensive side. John Wall can still defend to a certain level, but I think, again, now that you have guys like um, Kawhi and PG to kind of help out in that regard, um, I think it's it's great. And I think in terms for John Wall, it's a great opportunity for him to play for something again and really reestablish himself. Now, do I think he's going to start? I don't know. I think it'll be obviously between him and Reggie Jackson who will start, but I think this is this is a good fit. And then obviously the Clippers aren't paying that much to get him. So, well, I mean, either way, he can operate as that 15 and 10 guy for yeah. this Clippers team, which is exactly what they need. Reggie Jackson has been great for them, but he's more of a score first guy. John Wall is a score first player at times, but he's going to know what his role is. And he's, he's a very good facilitator as well. In his early days in Washington, John Wall was a very good passer. So I think he still has that in him. And I think, again, like he, John Wall said in an interview that he did, you know, he's no longer going to be guarded by the top guy. He's going to be guarded by, like, the third or fourth best defender. Exactly. Which, again, at this stage in his career, John Wall can take advantage of that still to a certain degree. So I definitely think uh, this is a great signing with the L.A. Clippers. And finally, some quick honorable mentions of signings that, you know, were a little bit smaller, but we did want to kind of touch upon them for some good moves. First and foremost, Otto Porter signing with the Toronto Raptors. He signed a two-year $13 million deal. Um, the... It fits the team very well. He's a wing player, can stretch the floor. Obviously, a six nine guy. We love them. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is that he signed for half the mid level exception, which I was very surprised about. I thought he was going to take up a little bit more, but this was a steal of a contract for the Raptors. Basically, just a guy that every team wanted on their yeah. team, and he uh, chose Toronto, which is also a big shout thing. out to his wife. Exactly, his wife did some good some good tampering for us. But, yeah, ultimately, he's a guy every every team wants, you know. And now that he has that championship experience with the Warriors, uh, it just makes him a, a more desirable player. Not to mention the fact that I think the Raptors were maybe a little bit too young last season. 
Um, you know, they need some more, I think, veteran experience. And you bring a guy like Otto Porter, who's been in the league for a little bit of time now. Who he has his championship. He's always been a good locker room guy. And exactly. He's always been a natural-born leader, I think. So adding that to the Toronto Raptors, I think, is a great move. Uh, we also want to talk about the KCP move, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. Uh, being traded to the Denver Nuggets. He then signed a two-year extension after that, um, and he was traded for Will Barton and Monte Morris. Ishmith was also part of this trade. He went to Denver with KCP. Um, this was a perfect move for the Denver Nuggets. Um, they ha- finally have their shooting guard. Will Barton, like, he made great strides in Denver, but, man, it was painful watching Will Barton at times, you know? And so for the Denver Nuggets to get a very efficient guy who can put up 13, 14 points a game on, you know, 40%, 38% shooting from three plus guard some of the best perimeter players on the other end. That is literally exactly what the Denver Nuggets need, especially with hopefully Jamal Murray and MPJ coming back. So I think um, having KCP on the Denver Nuggets solves a lot of issues for the Nuggets, and I think it makes them a lot better of a team. Not to mention, KCP has a ton of experience as well, which is also helpful for a young Denver champion. team. So, yeah, he's an NBA champion. Like, he's, he's been in a bunch of playoff playoff situations, so he's definitely going to be very valuable to Denver, uh, especially as they get healthier. And I think the final move, and we kind of I kind of alluded to it earlier, but the final move we want to talk about is P.J. Tucker signing with the Philadelphia 76ers. He signed a three-year, $33 million contract. Honestly, this was a good depth signing for Philly because they lacked a ton of like they lacked some toughness and uh, some defensive versatility, and I think PJ Tucker definitely brings that. He really fits Philadelphia, to be honest with you. And I think um, you know the Sixers definitely made some decent moves in this offseason. Now, will it pan out for them? Only time will tell. But Daryl Morey was just trying to get all his Houston guys. Pretty back. much, he Daryl Morey just got the band back together. Pretty much, but uh, you know what, what do we call him? B Dwight Howard. 2.0, I guess. Well, I mean, he's better than Dwight Howard, but... Well, he's better than Dwight Howard, but still. Like, at this point, it's basically the... the What is it? The Philadelphia Rockets, I guess. Basically. Yeah. Um, but either way, it was a good signing. P.J. Tucker literally fits that culture. Uh, you know, he fits the whole Philly Philly type of team. Um, and I think Philly will embrace him uh, more than most other 76ers. Yeah, for sure. So those were some of the moves that we that we thought were some of the best or some of the moves that we liked the most from the free agency, which brings us into the moves that we did not like or some of the worst moves of free agency. Uh, and I think first and foremost, and this is going to be a bit of a controversial one, but I think the first move that we got to bring up is DeAndre Ayton. Uh, obviously, the whole situation with Phoenix was that the Phoenix Suns didn't feel that he was a max-level player, but DeAndre Ayton wanted a max contract from the Suns. So, and because he was a restricted free agent, the Suns basically just sat on him and just kind of let him sit there. But the problem is they tried to work out a sign-in trade to try to see if they can get Kevin Durant. That eventually didn't work out. And ultimately, the Indiana Pacers ended up offer-sheeting DeAndre Ayton for a four-year, $132 million deal, and which was the largest offer-sheet in NBA history. And the Phoenix Suns had no choice but to match the deal because they couldn't afford to lose him for nothing. And the reason why I think this is a bad a bad move is because the Phoenix Suns literally just went back on their con- on their word and their conviction. Like if you felt that this guy is not a max level guy, you ha- you should have just stuck to it. But what did you think was gonna happen? You think that nobody was gonna offer sheet him? So I just think the Suns really misplayed the situation. And now if they ever wanted to go after Kevin Durant, 
Well, first off, you can't trade DeAndre Ayton at least until January. Second off, you can't trade him to the Indiana Pacers. And third of all, DeAndre Ayton has veto power on any trade. So it's going to be very difficult to move off DeAndre Ayton, who is probably the most tradable asset you have besides, obviously, Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson, who you probably want to keep. But it basically takes away any hopes of you getting better than you were last season, which it was the whole point of Phoenix trying to make these moves. And you're also kind of overpaying DeAndre Ayton by the estimations of the Phoenix Suns. And by Again, me. you kind of... Okay, they saved like a few million dollars technically. And then they aren't on the books for that one year, right? So you kind of have a shorter team. But you're still paying deal. him $36 million. But exactly, you're still paying him a max contract. Um, and again, it was just a messy situation in a case that didn't really need to be messy. No. Because you ended up with basically the same result as what would have happened had you given him that extension. And you right. had time to, to negotiate and sign him. You had like over a year to to make this work. And the fact that you didn't, and then you basically just end up in this situation anyways, is pretty sad. Yeah, especially like, again, I, them trying to be a championship contender, um, I don't think it bodes well for them, uh, you know. It doesn't make them better, and that's the problem. And the fact of the matter is that when you were basically sunned by Luka Doncic uh, and got blown up by 40 points on your home court in a game seven. Like you want to get better from that. And the reality is the Suns didn't get better with this move. It's also the question of how DeAndre Ayn will play after this, because we can all see he kind of dogged it in this past playoffs compared to, especially, you know, you look at what he was doing the previous playoffs compared to this year's playoffs. And there's a clear difference in how much effort he's putting out there. Um, and his play level. So we'll see what he does when he comes back. But, you know, he said all the right things. Obviously, he will because he's a professional, you know. And either way, he got like 130 plus million. So, yeah, it's, it's all right either way. Um, next up, we want to talk about Jalen Brunson. Now, again, this isn't a hot take by any stretch. I think basically everyone else has said this. But the New York Knicks signed Jalen Brunson on a four-year, $104 million deal. Now, Jalen Brunson, don't get me wrong, I really like Jalen Brunson, especially like him since, you know, coming out of college. I thought he was a good player. I thought he was one of those, you know, uh, older college players that, you know, would fit basically every single team. He was a steal of a pick. He was a steal of a pick. Uh, actually, no, I think he was undrafted, was he? Maybe he was, yeah. He probably I was. can't remember, to be honest, anymore. But um, either way, he was like, he was one of those older college players that everyone would want. Um, and I think he's turned out even better than even I thought he would be, um, especially in this past season and especially this past playoffs. Uh, he played really well for the Mavericks, um, and he basically, in that contract year, got himself a max deal. Now, the problem is, is he worth that max deal, number one? And number two, like, as the Knicks, you're doing the same Knicks moves you always do. It's This is exactly what they do, right? They give max contracts to... Those players that, like, Jalen Brunson is not moving the needle for you. And He's not doing anything Here's the biggest, the biggest problem with it. They literally salary-dumped so many players. They they passed, they gave away the 11th pick to the Pistons uh, for, for nothing, although they got some extra picks, whatever, all to just sign Jalen Brunson to this deal. 
And the reality is the Knicks aren't any better than they were before, which they weren't great to begin with. Again, I really like Jalen Brunson too. But would I pay him this much money? No. It's 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 well overpaid for a player that doesn't make you dramatically better. And in an Eastern Conference that completely got better, um, like, <laughs> this is such a Knicks move, and this is so hilarious for me because this is what you expect them to do. You expect them to screw it up, and they did. And again, it's, they ran after the big name for this offseason. Again, like, if you realistically think about it too, right? Adding Jalen Brunson to this Knicks team, can you definitively say that the Knicks are better than nine of the top teams in the Eastern Conference? No. no. Right? So, again, this just screams a Knicks move. Um, there was no reason for the Knicks to do this um, other than basically to sell tickets. Now, again, this is kind of a little bit contingent on if they're able to nab Donovan Mitchell or not, which is a completely different discussion. But you have a starting point if you're able to get a guy like Donovan Mitchell. But, again, nothing's guaranteed. And What would you have to give up for Donovan Mitchell? That's exactly. the other thing. The Knicks are in this situation where you're only like you don't really have a ton of valuable assets like uh, would you consider Julius Randle a valuable asset like I don't know would they be willing to part with him to get Donovan Mitchell yes, I don't know I think they would Well I either way even everyone if, would okay, but even if they do part with him do they get better are they a better team losing taking out Julius Randle or putting Donovan Mitchell I Well the question that is much I don't think Julius Randle has much value though No he doesn't especially not on the contract that he's on Again, I said it from when they signed him. I think it's too early to sign Julius Randle to an extension because he hasn't shown that he can do it consistently year over year. And, I mean, you can kind of say about Jalen Brunson, too. This is basically his first year where he was playing at this level. I mean, I trust Jalen Brunson a bit more because I think he can do more. But, again, how much of that was because he was playing next to Luka Doncic? Some of it has to factor in, you know? Well... I think it's more so not even that he was playing with Luka Doncic because a lot of the reason why he was able to get that max contract was because of what he was able to do when he wasn't playing with Luka Doncic. But I think more so of the system that he was in. Um, I've said it before. I got to give a lot of credit to Jason Kidd this year because he really turned around, I think, everyone's perception of him I mean, as we gotta a head coach. I mean, we got to see year two. Let's we'll see year two, but for sure this year he did a very good job. There's yeah, no doubt no, about he that. Did, he did well. So we'll see what he does, what Jalen Brunson does under Tom Thibodeau in oh, New York where he, has, <laughs> where he has much less help and in a much worse system. I love the Knicks, man. The, 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 the gift that keeps on giving, man, because they keep on being absolutely garbage you know and it's great it's honestly great um moving on into the next the next move we thought was probably one of the worst uh bradley beal um i really have questions on whether or not this guy wants to win or not in his career listen my my one thing is i don't i'm never gonna bash a guy for being loyal because we see the opposite too much now in the nba it's a thing called loyalty to a fault exactly and this is bradley beal the personification of loyalty to a fault he signed a five-year, $251 million extension with a no-trade clause um, with the Washington Wizards. And, again, it makes... it when, I get it. Bradley Beal is, wants to stay in Washington. He likes, likes it there in Washington. He's family, secu- you know, keeping his family there, getting secu- a lot of money. Securing the bag. No, no issues for me on those points. But the reality is... You have to start winning in your career to actually be considered one of the top guys in the league. 
Sure, you've led the, you've you know been one of the top scorers. Sure, you've been an all star. But again, you the rings and winning in the playoffs, actually making it to the playoffs matters in this league. And the reality is Bradley Beal hasn't done it nearly as much or has made it a priority. And then on top of that, your loyalty to the Wizards honestly hasn't been reciprocated. I think the Wizards have done literally nothing to build a team around you. So why are you being loyal to guys that literally all they're doing is just paying you boatloads of money because they're too scared to lose you. But in reality, they're not helping you win or helping you get further along in your career. I think what's worse than this Bradley Beal point of view is the Washington Wizards. Again, I feel for Wizards fans because this is just constant disappointment. Pretty much. Um, they basically, they've legitimately not done anything in the NBA since they won their championship back when they were the Bullets in the 70s. Like, that's how bad they've been over the past 40 years. They have literally not done anything. Yeah. Um, I don't even think they've reached a conference finals in like the last four years or whatever. I don't been. think they've reached a conference finals. Yeah, like uh, since yeah since then. Yeah. So it's, it's been a it's, it's long been time. it's been bad. Like for the Washington Wizards, again, this is kind of like a constant theme through the Wizards, and then like also if you want to look at like cross sports, like the Redskins and stuff, it's just perpetual mediocrity. Yeah, perpetual mediocrity. Um, to being not good at all. And I think this is very in line with what the Wizards are as a brand at this point. You know, they've, fi- they've found some sort of anchor to mediocrity in Bradley Beal, and they keep retaining Bradley Beal because he's going to at least keep them, you know, somewhat mediocre, sell some tickets, and that's kind of, like, it seems like that's what they're fine like, with at this point. If they were a serious organization and wanted to actually build something... I would have hit the reset button. I would have just been like, you know what? We have some of these young guys, you know, like Avdia and like some of these young players. Let's trade Beal. Let's get a boatload of assets for Bradley Beal because people teams are going to pay for Bradley Beal. And, you know, actually just start building from the ground up again. And the problem is the Wizards don't want to do that. And that's, to me, the biggest, the weird, the stupidest thing. So ultimately speaking, you're paying Bradley Beal $15 plus million for the next five seasons if you even want to trade him, you can't unless Bradley Beal waves his no trade clause, which things have to go really badly, which possibly could happen for Bradley Beal to basically be like, yo, trade me. Um, but ultimately, man, like this is one of those moves that I was just like, why? Like, why would you from both parties? Like, why would the Wizards offer him this? And why would Bradley Beal sign it? And so this was one of those moves that I just absolutely hated. Yeah, and the final move we're going to talk about, it's not something crazy in terms of contracts, but DeAndre Jordan got signed by the Denver Nuggets. Why is he still employed? <laughs> like, Listen, yo. man, like, no, dis- like, no disrespect to DeAndre Jordan, but, Please like, retire. But especially, especially if currently I think he is slotted to be the backup center. So I don't understand how this guy keeps getting offers at this point. Again, he's a great locker room guy. That's primarily why he probably keeps getting offers. But again, he's just he's just bad, man. Bro, like, I would have brought terrible. back Demarcus Cousins. Well, the issue with Demarcus Cousins, um, apparently by the end of the season, it was classic Demarcus Cousins. Apparently, nobody in the locker room really liked him that much by that point. Apparently, I, mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but I mean, it's, but it strictly kind of on the court, Demarcus Cousins can do more than DeAndre Ayton can. Like Jordan, sorry, DeAndre Jordan can, but. Why? It's incredible how he keeps getting contracts. You know what? You know what? I wouldn't be shout sur- out to his agent. I would not be surprised if they try to line up with Jokic and DeAndre Jordan. 
I will not be surprised. Maybe. Because I'm mean, Jokic lobbing up to DeAndre yeah, Jordan. Yeah, I mean, Jokic can play the four. It's I not like he it. can't play it, but... Yeah, man, it's... Uh, shout out DeAndre Jordan's a- uh, agent. Um, shout out DeAndre Jordan, I guess, so... I, I still don't know how this man still has a job, but... Good on him, I guess. Uh, but finally, some honorable mentions of some of the some of the signings that we really did not like. Our dishonorable mentions. Or our dishonorable mentions. That's the better terms. Uh, first and foremost, Patty Mills. He opted out of his deal with the Brooklyn Nets only to re-sign with the Brooklyn Nets. And, like, he signed for two years, $13 million. He took a pay cut to stay with Brooklyn. And I'm just, like, scratching my head saying, why, Patty? Why? What what is there in Brooklyn for you? You can go to countless other contenders and go win a championship and actually contribute because there was a stretch in the beginning and like the first half of the season that Patty Mills could not miss. And I think on a contender, you know, he could realistically be a useful contributor. He has a lot of experience, a lot of big moments, a clutch player. Why? Why stay in Brooklyn with all the chaos that's there? Why? It was very head-scratching to see that you re-signed in Brooklyn, to be honest. I was happy that he opted out, but then I'm just like, why did you re- well, Why? Why did you go back? You might as well just opted in, to be honest with you. you yeah, it was, money. Uh, I don't know, man. Different guys have different goals at different stages of their life. Like Greg Popovich would be disappointed in you, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, like, dude, the, the goal is to win. Like, go win. That's why you left San Antonio. But... Uh, yeah, that was that was the head scratcher one. Uh, the other one, the next one we want to talk about dishonorable mention it was Gary Harris resigning with the Orlando Magic for two years, for two years, twenty six million dollars. Um, this was again another confusing move. Now I get the fact that he may have gotten more money in Orlando, slightly more. Yeah, exactly. You could have gone maybe a little bit less money and actually gone to a competent team well, who would do something. Let's put it this way. When Gary Harris was traded away from Denver, his value was very low. It was very low. And he finally got to rebuild his value again in playing well in Orlando. So now that you played well and good teams actually are interested in you, a lot of teams are interested in him, um, you, what did you do? You just re-signed in Orlando again? Like, why? Like, Why? Uh, what do you like Florida? Florida weather? You could have just gone to California. You probably could have gotten a similar deal with the Clippers if you wanted to go play play for an, a California team. Um, but this was one of those moves. Where I'm just like, again, why? Like, this is why the, the the thing with players that I don't understand is, do you want to win or not? And the goal, I think, the goal if you're a professional athlete is to win. Sure, money's nice, but where do you get more money if you win? You get money if you win. And the reality is, some of these play, a lot of these players nowadays aren't focused on winning anymore, or they're trying to get massive contracts and deals, and yeah, just basically just screws up everything. Listen, man, like I don't hate it, but at the same time, it's just confusing. Yeah, like I would be, it was just like I, I don't, it's I don't like really why. understand exactly why he resigned with Orlando, but. Hey, man, maybe there's something behind the scenes. Who knows? Yeah, I guess the, he likes Florida weather, I guess. He likes alligators. Uh, I guess so. Uh, but, yeah, that was that was one of them. And finally, you know, this is not really much of a signing, but I think with everything that he's created, I think he's just... He's he's the one of the worst moves in, 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 of, the, of the free agency period. And that's Kyrie Irving opting into his $36 million player option with the Brooklyn Nets. Why is that a bad thing? Well... 
because of all the drama that he created just to opt in to his deal because he wanted an extension with the Nets and the Nets weren't going to give him the extension that he wanted. Um, and the fact that now, literally because of all his antics, Kevin Durant demanded a trade and the Nets are in probably one of the worst situations they can possibly be. They had the potential to be the greatest offensive team in NBA history, and it just completely blew up. Listen, man, you, I don't know what, what's in James, what James Harden using in his beard, but, man, there's some uh, crystal ball type of things in there. Because, man, he foresaw the, the future coming, and he got himself right up out of there. <laughs> like, man, like, the, what is that? Like, the, 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 he strokes his beard. He's like, yo, I, I, I sense negativity coming. Yeah, <laughs> so. man, like, again, I mean, he was in luck. So, you know, it just, it's the, this, I think the main thing when you talk about Kyrie Irving, I think you have to give even more credit to LeBron because LeBron to be able to win a championship with this guy and have as successful of a run as he did. I feel like after Kyrie left, I'm like, sorry, after the Cavs won that championship, that's when Kyrie kind of, you know, the head kind of gotten a lot, a lot more yeah, bigger than the no, shoulders. no, I agree with that, but... Because like, before like, that, he, need, he, has, he needs to prove something. Exactly. You know, and after the championship, it's like, he's he won. He, he did it. So, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but Kyrie Irving has definitely screwed up basically the entire offseason, uh, the entire future of the Brooklyn Nets, uh, potentially the, the way the NBA business operates in terms of, you know... How much are you going to pay players or what sort of, you know, guarantees you got to put into contracts and stuff? Um, also, what's the contract anymore? Um, yeah, he's going to be one of the deciding factors in what happens in the new CBA deal. Yeah. So, I mean, he is a VP too, right? VP? How are you yeah, a VP if you don't play? <laughs> I don't understand this. But either way, Kyrie Irving has been his, he's been a roller coaster this offseason. But uh, yeah, those were some of the some of the the moves that we felt were some of the worst of free agency. Let us know what you guys think. Do you agree or disagree uh, with what we thought were some of the best moves or the worst moves of this off season? Uh, and finally, just a couple of things we wanted to touch on. First and foremost, an update on the Kevin Durant situation because everyone has to do an update on the Kevin Durant situation. Uh, kind of touched upon it earlier, but basically, there's now a stalemate between all the trade partners, and in the sense that the Brooklyn Nets are just Sticking by a very high ask, asking price for Kevin Durant, and not a lot of teams want to pay that for for him. And you know the reality is that Kevin Durant could just end up playing for the Nets next season. Um, to be fair, like Brooklyn doesn't really have any incentive to try and make a bad trade for themselves because of the fact that true. like, I mean, they're not going to really get they're not going to get any better out of it, you know. And either way, Kevin Durant's locked in for a couple more years at the very least so you could realistically just keep him and knowing kd i think kd would still play because kd's a hooper uh first and foremost so i think kd would still play through the trade talks i don't think he would cause a scene um like windhorse said it best when you have a valuable asset that you price very high uh one of two things could possibly happen either a you the price drops uh, or B, the, you take it off the market. And the reality is it's getting more likely that the Nets are going to just not trade Kevin Durant unless something dramatic happened or Kevin Durant's like, trade me or I'm not going to play. And we've seen it happen. It, or or this is this is the, this would be the kicker. Kevin Durant somehow gets fat like James Harden <laughs> and 
Then we just question because again, Kevin Durant could barely like he still looks super skinny. So if this guy gains any sort of weight, we're gonna be questioning everything, you know. But again, he knows James Harden, so I guess he can go on the James Harden diet and just shrink right back down after he gets his wish. But that was the Kevin Durant situation. And then also the Donovan Mitchell situation. So now the Jazz are open to trading him, but apparently they want seven first-round picks because uh, Danny Ainge is part of the, the Utah Jazz organization, which, first and foremost, I'm very sorry for the Utah Jazz. You know, Danny Ainge is good at collecting picks. He's not really good at doing much with them. And the reality is nobody's going to pay seven first-round picks for Donovan Mitchell. And... You know, I think if Mitchell... Maybe the Knicks will. I would love it if they pay seven first-round picks. uh, Screw up their entire future only to, like, miss the playoffs every single year. Best scenario for me ever. But personally speaking, I think Donovan Mitchell is actually a pretty intriguing player to go after. A lot of teams would be interested in him. I personally think, you know, no bias, but I think think Toronto would be a great fit for him. Um, I think there's a few teams, I think, Potentially Miami could make a move for him. Um, there's a bunch of like great suitors that would go. Donovan Mitchell can really work out on, but we'll see what happens. We'll see if the Jazz even are willing to tr- will even trade him, or if they're just bluffing. But uh, Donovan Mitchell hasn't requested a trade. This is just kind of speculation based off of the future of the Jazz, based off of the moves that they've already made, trading Gobert, Royce O'Neal. So it might just end up happening that Mitchell just gets traded and the reset button gets hit in Utah. So. We'll see what happens, but we just felt like we wanted to update you guys on on those situations, and we'll keep you guys updated uh, in future episodes. But with that, that concludes this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely subscribe to the show on all the various platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and, of course, on YouTube. Definitely subscribe so you don't miss any more more great off-season content coming your way. Um, I think, what, we have, what, a month until, I think, training camp start? A month or two, month and a half, I think, until training camp start. So definitely going to be, you know, more off-season driven content coming soon. Uh, so definitely subscribe for that. Also follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Upletter and under podcast, Facebook.com slash under podcast. For all the latest updates whenever we post a new episode or reaction to news as they occur. So definitely check that out if you haven't done so. Also, check out our website, upandunderpodcast.com. It's our central hub for the show. It's a place where we write blog posts with every single episode. So if you don't have time to listen or watch the full episode, you can read about it on our website. Every episode is posted, uh, the written version is posted with the video and audio all in the same place. So it's a good central place if you want to see all forms of the of the podcast. So definitely check that out if you haven't done so. And yeah, man, uh, we're getting into the dry period of the offseason. But then again, you know, we could just have a Kevin Durant blockbuster and then that will Anything change. can happen in the NBA. Pretty much. I mean, again, you would think like August is a quiet month, but no, never really in the NBA. But uh, we'll keep you, obviously, more offseason content will be on the way. So stay tuned and we'll ho- hope you guys enjoyed this one. We'll see you guys on the next one. Take it easy. Easy.